Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This week on the Gegen Pod, former Premier League star and Sydney FC signing Joe Lolly joins us to talk about his experiences in football, including being a promotion hero with Nottingham Forest. Socceroos legend Mark Schwarzer is also in the pod, talking about Premier League headlines and what's on the table for England and the Socceroos ahead of an international break. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Let's get into the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is the Gegen Pod. It is indeed a great lineup on the Gegen Pod this morning. We have Socceroos legend Mark Schwarzer joining us and new signing for Sydney FC in the A-League men's, former Premier League and Championship player Joe Lolly. Joe, it is great to have you on the Gegen Pod. Good morning. Thank you very much. Good morning. And Mark Schwarzer, we find you in Spain. Looking forward to another interesting chat about all going on in the world of football, but you must be loving life over there. It's tough, mate. I tell you, someone has to do it though. Let's get into your best Premier League or football moments of the weekend, Mark Schwartz. So maybe give us your best and worst. What were your highs and lows from the weekend just gone? Sorry, Joe, I'm going to have to mention it. Fulham's comeback, uh, beating Nottingham Forest away from home. I thought it was a really good performance. You look at Fulham at the moment, how well they've done, I think. Um, <clears throat> I was a little bit worried about them leading into the season. And uh, I have to say, I think uh, Marco Silva's done a brilliant job. And so far... They're looking good, and the, the positive is Mitrovic is obviously doing his thing, which is uh, obviously uh, pretty difficult, you know, to match his his, uh, his ability or, he, or his performances in the championship. But um, he's certainly doing a, a really good job so far in the Premier League. Um, the other, I mean, I suppose the other high would have to be Manchester City. Just look like they're going from strength to strength. Um, Haaland, what a player! And if he stays fit, who knows how many records he's going to break. Joe, how are you getting used to the time difference? I know you're on uh, a pre-season tour at the moment with Sydney FC, but are you even watching the Premier League or is it on at uh, all hours of the morning and a little bit tough to keep up with? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's quite tough to keep up with. It's quite strange because you always wake up and you always see, like, load up the news and there's obviously articles or, or information about there's been a game and you're thinking, when, when, when's this happened? So it's all a bit, bit strange looking at the, the different times and whatever, but... I sort of watch the highlights of every game and maybe catch like little little moments of, of, of games if they're they're not too late or too early. So, uh, but it is difficult. But I, I see the next day all the results and and sort of you know the information regarding the games. Well, I'm sure you'll get used to it because we as Aussies, this is this is our life. It's it's watching games at all hours of the morning. Uh, so welcome uh, in that respect. Let's jump into some of the Premier League issues of the week. And one of the biggest ones is the new manager at Brighton and Hove Albion. Roberto De Zerbi has been appointed former Shakhtar Donetsk and before that Sassuolo Gaffer. Mark Schwarzer, thoughts on the appointment? You played for one Italian in your time in the Premier League. Is De Zerbi going to be a success or is he going to have a tough time adjusting? Um, I think there's always going to be a period of adjusting. The only the only problem he has is, as a manager of a football club, you generally don't give, be given that much time. Um, Brighton, I think, also the fact that they've started the season so well, um, there's an expectation that he has to pick up the rein and, and continue with that momentum. And then whenever a new manager comes into a club, I think um, that can take some time, particularly if he wants to make a lot of changes. If he's clever, he's going to go with what's been working for him to begin with and then slowly start to implement his own ideas. Um, but it's certainly, I think Brighton have, over the course of many years, have had a, had a, a, a sort of a, made, a, made a, a kind of a, a name for themselves as bringing in their sort of unfancied managers and, and them doing quite well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he uh, so long as he's given the time, he'll, he'll do a decent job there. 
And as far as the international break, Brendan Rodgers continues to hold his job at, at Leicester City. Is it now at the point where they're just going to stick with him or could the news still drop at any point? Do you think that he is parting ways, especially given that Brentford's Thomas Frank was linked very strongly to a potential opening, should there be one, over the weekend? You know what? I think it's more about a matter of the replacement. I just don't think they've got someone in, in, in place. I think... What we're seeing on the outside is something that's been bubbling under the surface for for a number of months now. I think when you go back in time and you think about last season and Brendan Rodgers' comments about the squad needing needing an overhaul, change of face, um, that didn't happen. He, he he mentioned it quite a lot throughout the off season, also through the early parts of the season. That's really tough for a group of players to take when you know that no players are coming in that door or very few players are coming in the door and you're losing some of your most influential players. Um, I I just think it's a matter of time. I I can't see much turning around. It doesn't seem to be enough signs there for me to suggest that Brendan Rodgers can actually turn it around with this group of players. Joe, one of your former Huddersfield teammates, Danny Ward, is the keeper for Leicester City at the moment. Obviously, when you're in a, a bottom team, you're going to be under siege and getting a lot of criticism. But can you give us any insights into what sort of character he is and whether or not he'll be able to turn it around and if the criticism is even fair? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I played with, with Danny it was about five years ago. He's a you know, young lad then coming through at Liverpool and you know, he was a strong character then. I know he, he made mistakes during that season. We got promoted, but bounced back very strong during the season and, and, and made some crucial saves in the you know in, in the in the playoffs and, and you know we we won on penalty shootouts both in the semi final and final so you know I'm sure he'll he'll again show his character and bounce back. You know it it has been difficult watching all the game. I mean I haven't seen any you know faults in terms of you know obvious obvious errors or anything so to speak. So um but yeah, you're always going to get criticised, especially um, you know following a keeper like Casper Schmeichel. So you know, I'm sure Mark's got more expertise on um, any any criticisms, I guess, um, from a keeper's point of view. But um, I'm sure it'll bounce back. I think Taylor, I think that's the key, isn't it? Um, what Joe was saying there, Casper Schmeichel. It's more about the personality as well. So you've got this person who's got an incredibly large personality, a huge presence within the change room amongst the group of players. Um, look, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised even if Casper were there now, they'd still be struggling. As good as Casper's been for them, as well as he's done for them, I just think there's so much more wrong with what's going on at Leicester City. There's a lot going on under, under, the, uh, under the surface, and that's the biggest problem. Let's move on to Nottingham Forest. Mark, you mentioned it in your moment of the weekend. The headlines are starting to appear about Steve Cooper, but I feel as though a few people out there have memories of a goldfish because Forest was slow starters last season. Apparently, it was their worst start to a campaign in more than 100 years, and yet they ended up winning promotion. And someone who knows all about that is Joe Lolly. And Joe... Uh, Tell us about Steve Cooper as a manager and what he would be going through at the moment, uh, given that the pressure in the Premier League and the the magnifying glass is even even greater than that of the Championship. But it's not like Nottingham Forest weren't in a similar position last season. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, it's an interesting position, really, because, you know, I think going up, they're probably one of the obviously, probably, if not the favourites to jump straight back down, really. But, you know, they've invested a lot of money and and you know it, it can sort of go two ways you know with that obviously they needed to sign a lot of players lost a lot of players you know in terms of people going back on loan and, and, and things like that so you know there'll be probably more added pressure in terms of the, the money that's been spent um, but you know as you say you know it's the season started didn't start too well last year although obviously he wasn't in charge at the time um, and he came in and did, you know, an unbelievable job, um, you know, to to get promoted from the position, you know, you know, we found ourselves in was incredible. So, you know, I'm sure, given time, that he'll he'll be able to to turn it around. And you know, Premier League's a tough tough league. You can go you can go two, three, four, five games without without winning and and and, and losing comfortably. So, you know, but it's about bouncing back and and you know, hopefully now. You know, after the international break and a few weeks working with with new players, you know they can do that. Joe, were you surprised at how many new signings Nottingham Forest have made? I know they needed players, but did you expect them to sign that many? Uh, no, to to be honest, I mean it was 
you know, I think, you know, everyone is, is pretty surprising. Um, you know, obviously, the, I think naturally, you know, they needed sort of probably 10, 12 players or so or, or, or whatever. So to see sort of that many come through the door was 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 surprising and, you know, maybe... You know, it, it's easy to say. I mean, and, and we're, we're going to find out as, as the season rolls on. I, I, you know, I'm not going to make any predictions or anything like that. You know, because I, I hope they do really well. But you know, maybe it was a few signings too many, perhaps. But um, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure we'll see. But that, what they have done is they've signed a lot of quality. So you know, that that should that should show as the as the season goes on. You mentioned the turnaround under Steve Cooper. Was there a, a turning point, whether it was a team talk before or after a game or a training session or just a week where all of a sudden the group realised, hang on, this this is something special. We are actually not just turning this season around, but we're going to shoot up the table. Or was it more a gradual thing and the things he did every day or every week that turned it around and maybe uh, there wasn't one big stake in the ground moment that everyone remembers as the moment that that season turned around last campaign? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it was, you know, it was, it was a gradual thing, but it's, you know, pretty early on. As soon as he come, um, you know, the mentality of the team changed, and we were a lot more, you know, dynamic and on the front foot, and and going into games, wanting to 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 win games um, rather than setting out, I guess, to to nullify the opposition and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I think within the second week, we went away to Barnsley and. Um, we're one nil down at half time. We come back and won three one and created hatfuls of chances. And probably after that game, straight away you sort of knew, okay, you know, you know, we're a good team. We we can score goals. We can create create goals. And 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 yeah, it was. And then from there, we sort of didn't look back. And tell us about Steve as a manager. Was he the kind of uh, hands-on in terms of he wanted to know every player and you know know your backstory, or was he more one that was maybe a bit more standoffish and just coached the group without trying to be sort of close to the players? Like, what was his manner, and how was it that he was able to get the best out of the players, especially crashing in mid-season? Um, yeah, I think he, you know he was pretty open, you know, speaking to to a lot of players and 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 would would talk to them and get. Get to know them, you know, individually, and you know there was a mutual respect there. As obviously, he's, you know, he's your manager, and first and foremost, and um, but yeah, you know, his door was always open to to go and speak to him and, and and talk to him about, you know, whatever players might have in terms of their issues or whatever, or whether it's on or off the pitch. And um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty open approach. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and to, but to be fair to the, the manager before that, it, he was pretty open in terms of that regard as well. So it didn't change that much in terms of person-wise in, in that regard. But you know, on the pitch, there was, there was a huge, huge difference. And he, and he was more personable, I think, being a bit younger than than, than Chris at the time. Joe, was there ever a moment um, through that season, through last season, where you felt as a group there was a big chance you get promoted? Did you ever, was it like a really positive feeling? Because when you go on a great run, you often feel like there's something really special about this group and about this run that something, maybe something, something special will come of it? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. It's, it's difficult rem- thinking about maybe a specific, a specific moment. You know, we, we, we got up there around Christmas and had, around the playoffs area and we, we had a few disappointing results around, around Christmas and it's, you know, it's difficult to pinpoint a specific moment, but maybe maybe even little things like the FA Cup run and, and, and knocking out Leicester and, and Arsenal, it probably puts you on that that you know that, that that higher level, and you're thinking, you know what, we've we've got a great team here. We, you know, we can really compete at the higher level. And it gives you probably that extra little bit of motivation to get to that level. You know, because we'd we'd knocked out two teams, we'd also give Liverpool a very good game, so. I think maybe that moment potentially give us that sort of belief to know we we could compete and you know that's where we wanted to be. Because for me watching it because obviously I watched quite a lot of Nottingham Forest certainly towards the end of the season for me the moment where I thought you've got a big chance was when you beat Sheffield United in the first leg of the of the, the semi-final playoff and you should have beaten them 4-5-0 really and the chances that you had on that night that was the moment where I thought 
it could have gone wrong for you, but you actually was it was it was probably one of your best performances of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember that game. To be honest, as you said, it, we probably should have put that that first first leg to bed, really. And and yeah, that you know it, it, we we played brilliant that game. And as you said, it, I mean, it could have been a lot more. Is actually. I think remember a bit deflated almost in the dressing room going in going into the second leg at two one after after such a performance I think being two nil up and um, but yeah I remember you know we looked we looked a real team then and and you know to be fair to them they come back and and did pretty much almost the same to us in the second leg so it was a pretty entertaining and uh, two legs I think for 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 people watching. When you go into a club like Nottingham Forest and you go in there every day, is the history on the walls? Are the conversations you have with people around the club always going back to the era of Brian Clough winning the European Cups, being a top team? Or does it feel like a modern club now that has great history? Or is it the sort of thing that is unavoidable when you're in there every day, whether it's on the training pitch, whether it's in the rooms, whether it's just driving into the car park or the people you see and you meet around the club? Is it always a reminder that Nottingham Forest has has something very special about its history. Yeah, it's, it, to be honest, it's pretty unavoidable. Um, you know, it, the training ground is. You know, there's plenty of, you know, history, and, and you can see what what the club all about and, what, and you know what it's achieved in the past. And then, you know, maybe it, you know it's not something day to day. You know, with players and staff, you you know you really talk about because you you're focused on the you know the current situation and the now and, and what you want to achieve now, but. You know, it, it only takes ten minutes of being in in the city or around the, around the city, and and people will be quick to remind you, you know, how how successful we were in the past, and you know how much they want Forest to be back, you know, there again doing 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 those things. So, you know, it, it's it's a pretty unavoidable thing whether you know you're at the training ground or at the ground or at the sea. So, yeah, it's something that's uh, sort of put in your mind very strongly. And so when you watch the team now, it's, is it unrecognisable compared to the one that you won promotion with? 22 new signings, as we've touched on, is a, a huge overhaul, but it, it, there was a sense of inevitability because some of those players last season had come in on loan. Um, d- does it still look like the Forest team that you recognise, or being on the other side of the world, the squad turnover, does it, does it already feel like it was five years ago, or does it still feel like it only just happened? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think, you know, it, it does... Uh, being the other side of the world and, and things like that, it does feel like you know it was a, almost a lot longer than it was last month that you know I was there. But um, yeah, I mean, there's still there's still parts of the team that are they're there. You've got the likes of Joe, the captain, uh, and and Ryan Yates, and and Brennan obviously st- still playing, and uh, Scott McKenna. So there's still sort of a hub of the team that are still there. But you know, it's very much you know a lot of change, and you know, I mean, the whole squad there must there must be sort of 15, 15 new faces in the squad that you know that wasn't there last year. So, you know, it is a it is a big overhaul and a big a big change. And yeah, it has been a bit different. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, especially being close to being close to the players, you know, you're just wishing them to do well uh, more than anything, to be honest. And winning promotion means that you and everyone who did it will be remembered fondly by Forrest for a long time because it was 23 years that they spent out of the top flight. But was it bittersweet to win promotion, to have that moment of going up, but then also to not be retained by the club as a result due to the overhaul that's now happened? Um, I, I, to be honest, I think being promoted you know, is a, you know incredible incredible moment and to be part of that was was you know unbelievable and you know I didn't I weren't really sure what how things would go in the you know with you know I hadn't started the majority of games last year you know I'd, I'd come off the bench and you know obviously we you know we played a, a way that you know naturally it you know didn't suit being a winger you know we didn't play with with wide men which you know is my natural position um you know, so I wasn't disappointed in terms of, you know, the decision. It was it almost made it easier because I was a bit I was umming and ahhing myself and didn't know, you know, what was what was best for me to do and what I really wanted. I was probably, you know, disappointed in the manner in which in which things happened. Um, but yeah, apart from apart from that, it was, um, you know, it, it made my decision easier to be honest, because you know I was a bit unsure myself. So. 
Um, I wouldn't say bittersweet. I mean, the promotion they'll they'll stay with me th for the rest of my life, and you know, I'm pretty sure I'll always be welcome back to Nottingham with with open arms in in terms of the city and the fans. And you know, I'd, I'd like to think that you know, even maybe even though it wasn't as much as other seasons, I still contributed, you know, in a way that helped the team. One more on Forrest before we, we get into your move to Australia, Joe, but this one's for Mark Schwarzer. Mark, Steve Cooper, the headlines have started. Uh, Evangelos Marinakis, as we know, is, is a mover and shaker as an owner. Uh, what, where to from here for Nottingham Forest? Do they, do they stick fat with Steve Cooper or do the, uh, does the, the nature of the two come from behind losses that they've suffered in, in recent games to both Bournemouth and then most recently Fulham start to weigh against them? And could they be trigger happy having seen Bournemouth already uh, act very early as a promoted team? Yeah, no, I think the Bournemouth situation, I think, is a very, very different one to the Nottingham Forest one. And I don't, you know, Steve Cooper has conducted himself very, very well in a very different manner. Um, look, and, and, and the owners of Forest have obviously already sacked the Olympiakos manager, um, which I think for a lot of people was a bit of a surprise as well. Um, but you've got to give him time. I mean, 21, 22 new players... The, the the problem he's got is the, as an owner of the club I see is that you know you invest so much money in a squad you're desperate to stay in the league and obviously you've got to weigh up at what point do you, do you say enough uh, is enough I've got to change it just because you need a fresh voice a fresh face and maybe someone can get the team together even though the team is so I think disjointed in so many ways because there's so many new players it's only natural and it may take 10, 15 games for them to start really finding their way. But that could also be too late. So it is such a difficult call. Look, I'd love to see Steve Cooper given more time because I think he did an incredible job last season um, to be, after 10 games, bottom of the table, come in and take the team where they, to where they went, help be, you know, obviously be a big part of that. I still believe, I think he's a really good coach and I think... Given the time, they've got half a chance of getting out of it and, and staying in the league, but he needs that time. I just don't know whether the owner will give him that. Well, that's one of the burning questions through the international break. You're listening to The Gagan Pod. Joe Lolly is our special guest. And coming up, we'll talk about why the move to Australia. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Socceroos legend Mark Schwarzer and new Sydney FC signing Joe Lolly with us in the pod today. And Joe, we want to talk about you and we want to talk about a bit of your journey and your move to Australia. What lured you here and uh, maybe what was the deciding factor that got you to come down under? Um, to be fair, there probably wasn't one overriding factor, but, you know, I've, I've been in England for a, for a long time and... and you know, to be honest, you know, when it was when it was clear that, you know, I didn't have a, a future at Forest, it was then thinking about what I I wanted to do and and I'd always want to play abroad and, and sort of have new experiences and different experiences. And I felt like it you know, it it come at a good time. I, there was a few offers in terms of from England and the championship, but you know, just nothing that really excited me doing sort of the same thing over and over again and so I sort of looked into other opportunities, and and, and thankfully um, Sydney, Sydney come available. Yeah, it was uh, you know, and once once Sydney uh, come available, it was um, you know I, I looked into it. I, I've, I've actually had one of my best mates lived here for for around about a year, and uh, Cole Jenkinson as well, who plays at the Jets. He's, he was over in Australia and, and gave me such good feedback in terms of how much he loved. You know, being here, living here, and, and just enjoying his football again, and and you know, so I thought, you know, why not? Why not just make the jump, and you know, and and here I am, I guess. So the options that were on the table, you mentioned a couple there. Were they all English-based clubs, or were you sort of scouring the globe, maybe looking at somewhere on the continent in Europe or America, or 
did Australia just stand out above all the rest? And, and as you say, none of the, none of the others really jumped out to you. Yeah, so there was a, a couple of English. I think there was, you know, there's a European club as well. And you know, we're we're looking at the, you know, the market in in America. But I think, you know, you 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 can't also look past the the lifestyle that that Sydney can give you in terms of you know it's got the city and you know that it that it's on the beach and and to be part of being one of the best teams in the league and and you know the plans that they had in terms of building the team again and and you know going from a disappointing season and and wanting to you know to be successful again sort of you know it all seemed to fit in pretty well and and be something that was actually pretty exciting to be part of so you know and the fact the stadiums um you know just been rebuilt as well and you know that's a beautiful arena so you know it 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 seemed pretty perfect and um yeah I'm, I'm uh, I'm really enjoy- really enjoying it so far. What's been your first impressions in terms of what stands out the most? What's the biggest difference between playing in England, say at Nottingham Forest in the Championship, and now being at Sydney FC? Yeah, it's interesting actually because you know the first sort of seeing training for the first time when I got here and, and being involved in little bits because sort of slowly built up. The I was actually su- surprised with the the quality of the players and, and the technical qualities they have, and they're, you know they're all fit lads. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd probably just say that a real competitive intensity is probably not at that 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 same level um, yet. Um, that's what I'd say is the big difference. You probably just got that extra few seconds on the ball, and and you know in England, you know players are very aggressive and 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 probably just that extra little bit of physicality. But you know technically, you know it's a you know it's a really good game here, and and the lads are fit, and I think the games are pretty open and exciting games. So you know I think it's a a style of play that, to be honest, I think could is pretty exciting to be to be playing, and especially for an attacker, maybe not defensively or as a keeper, you're gonna you're gonna be pretty busy. Um, but yeah, I was I was surprised by the you know the level of quality, to be honest, within within the squad. Had you ever been to Australia before for a holiday, uh, for a trip, or is this the first time you've been in the country? Uh, it's the first time, um, you know, and, and before I before I sort of left. Uh, you know, left Nottingham Forest. It wasn't, you know, probably not even a country. I'd, you know, it was almost too far away to, to think about going. But, you know, as I said, you know, Carl Jenkinson, to be honest, he, he went there and, you know, he absolutely loved it. I know Zach Clough um, as well has, has loved it. So, you know, hearing those sort of things and then looking into him and as I said, you know, I've got, you know, best friends from outside of football who have lived in Sydney and just, you know, say how, how beautiful it is. And, and so... You know everything. Sometimes you got to sort of just take big gambles in life and make quick decisions. Because I think if you overthink things and think about too, things too much, you sort of start worrying about what could happen. So I was sort of pretty quick to just jump in and say yes and and deal with it, deal with it after if if I didn't if I didn't enjoy it. But I absolutely love it to be honest. So yeah, I feel very uh, very settled here. Well, the reason I ask if you'd been here before is, was your perception of Australia sort of Ramsey Street, kangaroos in the backyard, crocodiles around every corner? Or did you has it actually met your expectations of what Australia was going to be like? Um, I, I guess before before actually looking into stuff, you know, I think, you know, we're all pretty guilty of just thinking Australia's, you know, a, a certain, I guess, a few cliches and stuff and expecting to see big spiders all over the place and sharks jumping out the water. But, um no, once you once you speak to people and, and and you do any sort of just general looking at information, you you realise it's it's definitely not that. So um, it's 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 pretty it's it's all good to be honest. Um, it's it's meeting all expectations and, and and even going beyond that. And you know, it, to be honest, all the lads at, at, at the club have made it so easy from a from a social point of view as well. So you know, I feel really really at home here early on. Oh, Joe, you haven't seen spiders and snakes yet. That'll come, mate. Don't worry. Don't worry. You'll get it. That'll come. It won't be long, mate. Um, I, I haven't seen it. Are you, are you a coffee drinker? Um, I do drink coffee, but more to wake me up in the yeah, morning. Yeah, see, I was going to ask you the question. I do drink it still. I still drink it socially yeah, as well. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, I mean, the coffee kills anything you get in England, right? There isn't a comparison. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I'm a, I must admit, I am drinking more coffee here because it is, it is more enjoyable. It's, it's got to be the, probably the best coffee in the world, I have to say. So there you go. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. 
Oh, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying Australia. But if we can, if we can just go back in time a little bit to your football career, because one of the things that makes you such a fascinating player and signing is your background playing for university teams and also non-league football with Littleton. Um, has it given you a bit of a different perspective on your career and on the game? Because it is refreshing to see someone that has come from that level of football and rocketed all the way up to the Premier League. Did you actually, as you played your career, think that it was possible or was it just a matter of, as it was happening, you go along for the ride? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it was It was more like that. I remember sort of doing interviews when I was a bit younger and I think people expected me to be a bit like, you know, I always wanted a make it and, and, and be there and you know even when I was down low it was but you know I, it it just it just more happened you know I was very fortunate with with certain people um, you know a, a guy for example university put me forward to the England university teams and, and from there the coach there was at Kidderminster and and got me into the into the conference um, which was full time at Kidderminster at, at the time so it was more just you know bit of luck in the right right place right time and and obviously you know naturally I still had to do well and, and perform and and play well and show the ability that I needed to do but you know in terms of getting the opportunity it was you know it it was it wasn't something I'd ever thought about once I'd once I'd left Birmingham I was at an academy until I was 16 and but once I was 19 20 I was you know I wasn't thinking about professional football and you know I was I was lucky enough that I got picked up and then you know things went really well probably much better than sort of I ever anticipated really and you know I think it gave me a nice ground in, in the game and it it you know never really made me complain about certain things everything everything was just everything was great you know what I mean it didn't matter the facilities or whatever you know just being able to to play football every day was was you know was a joy really and in, in your time in, in non-league, you played for England C. Now, uh, for our listeners not familiar with that national team, um, tell us how it works and tell us how that opportunity came about. Because a lot of players that went on to full international careers, often with Caribbean countries, have played for England C or um, gone on to full professional careers. But tell us about that opportunity to play for your country, but uh, a different kind of national team. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, to be fair, naturally, I think any time you get to represent your country, it doesn't really matter what level or, or in, in what sport, you know, it's a, it's a pretty incredible achievement. And, um, you know, it's, it's something I, I do remember really well. And I think it just come about, I was playing really well in the um, National League at, what, um, at the time. And I think it, you had to be under under 23 um, and in the conference, so sort of a non-league player. Um, and under a certain age, and you know, I think because of my performances um, at Kidderminster at the time, I, you know, I managed the one cap. Um, it probably, hopefully, would have been more, but um, luckily, I was I signed for Huddersfield in January, so it sort of, you know, ended ended those opportunities there. But obviously, that was a, you know, a, a great move for me. And um, so, yeah, I only had the the one opportunity, but it was a it was a pretty good opportunity. Schwartz, when you were at Fulham, was Barry Hales there at the same time as you, or had he already left before you went to the club? Mate, mate I'm old, but I'm not that old, all right? No, Barry had already left by that time. <laughs> no, it just he was he was another player, full Jamaican international, but he played for England C as well. So I, I played against him, but I didn't play with him at uh, at Fulham. So I am pretty old, yeah. No, my, my apologies, Shorts. Uh, Joe, um, let's let's go from talking about England C to talking about your time at Huddersfield. More than 80 games, including one half season in the Premier League before you moved to Nottingham Forest. And you scored your one and only goal. Moy to Lolly. Looks like it's opened up for him. Oh, boy, has it opened up for him. a thing of beauty but it came in your last game for Huddersfield what what was the story there because you score on January the 13th against West Ham but on deadline day you signed for Nottingham Forest so tell us about that month of your career yeah always end on a high Um, (laughs) I'm I'm one in one in the Premier League so that's how I like to just I like to just keep it there Um, you know we got promoted at, at Huddersfield and and a lot of my close friends actually left in 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 that summer, um, when we went to the Premier League, and you know, you know, being brutally honest, I, I didn't enjoy 
the dressing room, the day to day. I didn't enjoy going into work. I found it. I found it really difficult. Um, so, it, you know, I'd, the only reason I probably stayed there over, over that summer was, you know, the fact that you know we we made it to the Premier League, and it, it was an opportunity that, you know, you sort of dream of, and, and you never wanted to turn down. And um, and then I sort of edged my way into the team as, as the season went on and, and found myself playing and then we made a few signings towards the back end of January and you know after that I scored that goal and then I think the next league game he told me I wasn't playing and you know at the time we'd been struggling for a few goals and, and things like that so you know it was a pretty disappointing and and I'd, I'd, I'd sort of half wanted to leave anyway because I just didn't enjoy the day. I found it really difficult going in, um, and so it just made my decision a lot easier, really. And I thought, you know what, I, I just want to go. I just want a fresh start somewhere else. It didn't really matter, you know. I'd, I was lucky enough; I'd played a few games in the Premier League. I'd, I'd scored a goal. I, you know, it was sort of a dream come true, really. Um, so I thought, you know, just just leave. You, you know, you need it. You need to do it for your for your own sake and your own career. So. Yeah, that was probably the story behind that, really. Fascinating to hear. Um, David Wagner was the manager that season, but uh, I, I still have to ask, the player that laid off the assist uh, for your wonderful curving strike for that goal was none other than Australia's uh, key socceroo, Aaron Moy. Um, and I just wanted to ask, what were your experiences with him as a teammate? I mean, because we in Australia know him as very understated, doesn't give much away in interviews when he does talk or, or when he's compelled to have a microphone put in front of him. But what was Moy like as a teammate at Huddersfield at the time? Were you mates? Did you did you know him well? I think he was even quieter behind, off a microphone. He <laughs> um, was a very quiet, a very, very quiet person, but, you know, he had the full respect to the dressing room because... You know, within within the first session, you could see his quality. I remember, I even remember doing a shooting session literally the first day, and and it was like a sort of cross and a finishing on the volley. And I remember just right foot and left foot, just the quality in, in on both feet were were incredible. And you know, being honest, I had no idea who who he was when he signed, and and it was like, you know, where's he come from? Because he weren't like a really young lad. He was like 26. I was like, you know, I was such a good player just not been you know playing at a real top level and then you know through the season the season we got promoted and, and the next season you know he was he was just so consistent and so good at everything and sort of your perfect perfect midfielder really could 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 do everything so you know he he, he didn't need to speak much in the dressing room because you know everyone respected him and, and you know everyone loved him for for how he was on the pitch Obviously, he's at he's at Celtic now. He's still a key part of the the Socceroos. So now that you're here, do you, do you have a better sort of appreciation of of what a big deal Aaron Moy has been for us and what it can mean for for one country when a star player is flying the flag solo in the Premier League rather than having an array of names to choose from, kind of like Mark's golden era when you had Mark Luke, Lucas Neal, Kuehl, Viduka. It's a very it's a very different time and has been a very different time for Australia. So Aaron Moy was was our poster child for quite a number of years there. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, obviously, as you say, during Mark's era, there's some pretty pretty special talents. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, to be honest, I've been surprised also going back to, you know, training with the lads and the quality. You know, there's a lot of, you know, good talent coming through here at, at Sydney. And, and you know, the, there's clearly a lot of, you know, very good footballers coming, coming through. And it's about hopefully, you know, nurturing them for the you know, for the next sort of generation and, and, you know, hopefully the World Cup as well, it sort of inspires a, a new generation for Australia as as well and, and hopefully brings a lot more interest interest, uh, interest to the A-League as well. So on your time with Sydney that's coming up, you've signed a two-year deal. I've read in some of the press interviews you've given and, and listening to previous podcast interviews that you've done, um, kind of a mixed sort of answers on what the ambitions are on how long you want to play and whether you want to be a coach or involved in football. How's the new perspective of Australia changed your thoughts on, one, how long do you want to play for? Do you see yourself playing into your mid-late 30s, early 40s? And uh, next question is, what comes after football, given you've got that additional uh, perspective of having gone to university already and you maybe have a, a head start on other footballers who have to think about life after? Did you say early 40s? <laughs> That'd be difficult. Ten, ten years away. Do you want to play for another ten years is what I'm saying. 
I'm not a goalkeeper. That's, that's true. Um, no, um, to be honest, you know, probably, I think the fact you, you, you know, I'm here and, and naturally you play, you play less games, you know, in the champ, in England you're probably playing 50 games and, and here you are playing, playing a lot less. You might, I mean, you might, you know, Fingers crossed, we qualify in terms of like the Champions League. It means we've we've had a pretty pretty strong season, so you know you you want to play those games as well. But you know the seasons are a bit short, so in that respect, it you know probably adds a bit of longevity. And as I say, to be honest, I actually you know love going in every day. I think things in England have got a bit stale, and you're sort of thinking you get to the point where you're sort of thinking about the end. Where here you you know you feel I feel a lot younger again. I feel like excited every day and, and you know it's a bit more exciting so you know I'm not going to say what my I don't know what my ambitions are in terms of how long I play but I certainly if, if I feel the way I do now I can see myself playing for you know for as long as possible um, and then you know after football is you know I, I, I don't think I'll stay in football in terms of a day to day football coaching but maybe something Something you know around around football, maybe a podcast. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, just you know something within that you know maybe talking about football or working within football, but maybe not not just that day to day. That you know I, th- I think it's a pretty tough job, and, and they they work work very very hard. The coaches, to be fair to them. Hey, so just away from football, um, you, you've come out to Australia solo. Did you bring any of any pets, or are you in the market for a dog now that you're here down under? Maybe get a blue heeler or something like that. <laughs> no, I'd, um, to be fair, I'm, I'm, I absolutely love dogs, so you know it would be be something you know I'd enjoy. But you know the fact we're I'm I'm here by myself, and and you know we go away to hotels and stuff like that, and, and we're away a lot. It's it's not an easy thing. Um, easy thing to, to to look after and um, but you know who knows in the future uh, maybe if you know settle down settle down here for a long for a longer time it, it can be something I'll, I'd look into have you had a chance to be a tourist or has Steve Corica got you on the pre-season training track every day I mean I know you're on a camp at the moment but uh, have you been able to tick off any of the actual sites that you wanted to go and see, whether it's you know the Barrier Reef or the Big Banana or uh, particular beaches? Have you actually seen much of the country, or has it just been total head down pre-season work since you've been here? Yeah, I mean it's pretty pretty pre-season. You know, we get we get the odd day off here and there, but you know not enough to to go. I guess visiting loads of you know loads of different places or whatever. But you know I've been you know doing a lot of things quite local in terms of around around Bondi and, and Sydney and, and, and things like that and going for little walks on the days off or, or going to certain places um, you know local local to me but you know we're in the cold coast at the moment so getting to see you know a little bit of this um, and yeah and then I guess you know I think you know when maybe we get two or three days off be able to, to go and travel and, and, and have a little look at some other places. Mark any recommendations for, for Joe's bucket list to tick off when he's in Australia? Well I mean the, the simplest ones obviously have you been to icebergs in Bondi? I haven't no. Yeah so it's one place you've definitely got to go whilst you're there. The other, I mean, there's a couple of standard things the bridge climb is really cool uh, whether it's sunrise or sun uh, um, sunset. And there's also a new thing you can do these days. Well, I say it's new because I've never done it before, but my wife has just recently done it, is kayak for sunrise on Sydney Harbour okay, under the nice. bridge. And so you can do all that as well. So that's yeah, pretty that's cool. Awesome. There we go. Three things I've got to, I've got to tick off. Well, yeah, if, if anyone knows how to, to get the most out of um, leisure time, I reckon Mark Schwartz is a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good person to ask. Um, so... I've got one more question for you um, before we get back uh, into the football, Joe, and that is you were quite active on Twitter and you had a real following from fans and the press alike and, you know, you would talk about things like politics and you had a really strong social conscience, but then you left the platform. And I guess the question is, why? Um, I just probably... I felt it was probably too too consuming at the, at the time. It, you know, it was... You know, it's just something I found myself on every day, and you, and you almost be working, working yourself up over things that you know. You, you know, it, you know, it was it was just difficult, and I think it was it was something. Yeah, as I said, I, I think you found yourself on your phone too much, and 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 looking at things and spending, you know, so long, and you know, I, 
it was just something I wanted to I wanted to pro- probably get off and, and try and be a bit more you know active and I can still you know do things that I believe in and just you know you know I don't have to necessarily just say them you know just say things online or whatever even though you know I still think that brings great awareness and, and importance to to um, to the world and I'm sure there's you know that there's people with a lot more following than me that do that which you know is great um, but yeah you know from from a selfish perspective I guess it was just about sort of getting off my phone a bit more and just sort of engaging engaging in the world and and, and what's around me I have to ask will you come back because uh, when I asked uh, my journalist colleagues yeah, Joe Lolly's coming on the Gegen pod have you, have you got any questions for him that came up quite a bit it, it seems as though you'd, you'd carved out a bit of uh, a reputation and an identity as, as a footballer that had uh, you know invested in that space and was willing to use your voice so is it something that could tempt you back or uh, did, did it just become too much of a preoccupation to be honest I I don't. I don't miss it. To be honest, it you know it's 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 not something I I like really look at or, or or go on anymore. So it's it's not something that you know. I think it's a great. I think it's a great space. Um, but I just think it you know it probably you know wasn't for me. And you know potentially maybe in the future in moderation. And, and I think maybe once you know I'm out out of football and, and whatever. But it almost brought too much too much distraction and maybe you know it, it, I guess it's a shame in terms of saying you know it affects your football I wouldn't say it affected football in any way but it, it you know people then try and draw draw you know correlation between things and, and you know performances on the pitch and, and how much you, you might be tweeting or, or things like that which is it's pretty insane but you know it's almost unnecessary uh, you know I guess attention um but yeah, it's you know it's, it's difficult. Is you know what's right and what's wrong. It's a pretty you know fine line in the sand, I guess, in in, in what you're doing. So um, you know maybe in the future, who knows? But it certainly will be probably a bit more in moderation than it was than it was then. You know, coming out to Australia, obviously, I think for for you at your stage of your career, and I think Taya already mentioned about the fact that you're still very young, really. I mean, 30 years old to come out to Australia, that was a big decision, and and it seems like to me. You you wanted that new taste, a new challenge, a fresh start, and something completely out of the UK, um, which is unusual at your age. And sort of, I would imagine you would have had lots of options to stay in the championship at the very least. Yeah, I mean, you know, I also wanted to come at a time, as you say, you know, I still feel young. I still feel sort of, you know, really able to, to play it. You know, any level I felt, even when I contributed last year, and especially playing in in my position, I know, you know, the probably last game I played as a as a right wing was against Liverpool in the FA Cup, and I, I know I played really well, and you know, I feel like I can, you know, I can still play to a really high level, but I didn't want to come here and just not enjoy the football because I felt that oh, I'm at the end and my legs aren't what they were. I wanted to sort of come here and and put a bit of pressure on myself to achieve, and and you know. I want to be, you know, the best player or, or one of the best players in the league, and I want to be, you know, producing for the team and, and, and being as, you know, as play as well as possible. And I didn't want to just come here just for the, just for the lifestyle, because I think if you don't enjoy the football, then it, you won't enjoy the lifestyle as much, and it sort of comes hand in hand. So, um, yeah, I'd say that was probably the main, the, the main main reason and for that. Well, Joe, we appreciate your insights into your move and talking about your career, uh, but we're going to take you off the hot seat and we're going to put Gareth Southgate on it because the Nations League is live and exclusive on Optus Sport this weekend. We go back into an international break and England, incredibly, are bottom of their Nations League group and facing the prospect of relegation down to Nations League B. They've got matches against Italy and Germany coming up, so it's not going to be easy and they're going to need some results to get out of this. Mark, what tough decisions does Gareth Southgate have to make? These games will be used as preparation for the World Cup. If England get relegated in the Nations League, so be it. I think the World Cup's the big prize. No one's going to care too much uh, if they do end up bottom of the four teams in their group. But what do you want to see from Gareth Southgate in this international break? Gosh, what do I want to see from him? Um, I, I think people want to see a little bit more consistency and a proper game plan. I think people are thinking, feeling like 
they're lacking a bit of vision and a little bit of game plan. Um, one of the criticisms I think Gareth's had, whether it was at the previous World Cup, the Euros, is has he got the technical ability and the, the know-how to take this team to another level? Uh, has he got enough in him to be able to outwit, say, the best of the best once it gets to a final, like against Italy in the Euros? Going to the World Cup, going to the semi-finals, you know, losing to Croatia. Um, they're the, the fine lines, fine margins, and I think this England squad um, is another generation that you don't want to be looking back at and going, it was a generation that should have accomplished a lot more. And I think he's got to start delivering with results now. And I think particularly the World Cup, it's now about getting not only the performance, but actually going one step further and getting to the final. If he doesn't, I think it could be close to the end for him because I think people, I think it gets to a point where, you know, you've been there, you've had two World Cups, you've had a Euros and you've struggled to get to that final, you know, to that end, taking over the line, taking an extra bit of distance with this group of players. We've seen Ivan Tony get called in and Harry Maguire's club minutes have been significantly reduced. So some different selections and certainly some omitted players that have raised eyebrows as well. Someone like an Ivan Tony, though, Mark, is it realistic to say he could be a World Cup bolter? I mean, a goal against an Italy or a Germany would certainly help his cause. Oh, 100%. You know, the thing about it is, is I think what Gareth hasn't done um, since he's taken over and certainly in the, in the initial part he did do it quite often was... He picked players based on a performances, certainly at club level. Were they performing well enough? Were they at a certain level? And therefore, they justify selection in a national team. And if they don't play very well within their club side, it's very difficult to select them for the national team. I thought he'd gone away from that quite a lot. And, he, and, and you could argue still in the same squad, Harry Maguire, someone who doesn't play regularly for his club team, but now is still in the England side. The problem he's got at centre-half is he's very limited for choice, certainly at a certain level. And I think that's where his hands are tied a little bit. Um, but I think what's important is so close to a World Cup, he's almost got very little time to start to experiment. He's got to go with a tried and tested. But there's always room for one or two to bolt at the end. And Ivan Tony is one of those players that gives you something different. Joe, are you a flag-waving hardcore fan when England plays or as a fellow professional footballer, do you watch Do you watch in a, a more calm and analytical fashion when the England team plays? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say more calm and analytical, but um, I think, you know, when it was when it was the you know the Euros and and you know you're in the the quarters and the semis and final you you can't help but you know feel the feel the excitement and um, but yeah I, you know probably the sort of the games that are on and you know the Nations League or you know the qualifiers are you watching it more pretty and more just watching the game for the game of football itself um, and obviously you know as, as usually I, I mean England qualify in terms of. For World Cups and Euros, pretty pretty comfortably. So there's never too many be like nerves or anything watching watching those games. Um, but yeah, it'd be a, you know an interesting interesting World Cup, and it'd be interesting to see how you know as as Mark said, you know who you know what he does and, and what sort of little tactical tweaks he might make. Um, yeah, it'll be for interesting watching, I think. And just on another former teammate of yours, Connor Cody, uh, what's it been like to see his rise to the England squad and, and could he end up uh, having a very important role come the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's done incredible, to be honest. And, and, you know, not to say that, you know, he, he isn't a talented player or, he, you know, he wasn't a good footballer, but, you know, it's always, I guess, when you're, when you're that level. I mean, he was a centre midfielder at the time. Um, you know, and he was he was good at everything, but maybe not brilliant at one particular thing and and to see his sort of career go from strength to strength and you know probably the importance of also you know finding finding your position I guess you know if he, you know when he when I played with him he was a centre midfielder now you know he, he'd probably been known for playing in a back three and, and you know it probably puts all of his particular abilities to and makes the best use of them um, you know and, and you know not just on the pitch but you know he'll have an important role off the pitch as well you know I know you know he's an important member of the squad and he was you know even as a young lad he was um, you know very vocal and very encouraging and you know a friend to everyone as well so you know I'm sure you know whether he makes an impact on the pitch or you know off the pitch I'm sure he'll be you know an important figure 
important figure for, for uh, Garish team. And a lot closer to home, the Socceroos play their farewell game before going to New Zealand and playing a second friendly against the All-Whites and then these are the last matches in the Southern Hemisphere before the World Cup in Qatar. Mark, what do you want to see out of these two friendlies? Because when we chat on the Pod next week, they both will have taken place. So it's going to be a pretty intriguing week for the Socceroos coming up. Um, what do I want to see? I mean, I think, what has he got, 31 players in the squad? Um, I think it's an opportunity for him, I think, with the two games, playing into a side in New Zealand who um, certainly not going to be any pushovers. They're, they're, they're a half a decent side, but I think... He's got a couple of new faces. Mitch Langerak, obviously, is one of the big ones that have come back into the team. Um, I would be surprised if he doesn't get any minutes. It's great to see Matty Ryan playing now week in, week out. I think there's a, there's a, there's a core of the side that he's pretty sure of, but I think there's still enough places uh, available uh, for players to find their way or fight their way into the squad um, come the World Cup. These two games are massive. We know that the World Cup has very limited time to prepare um, prior to the World Cup, end of the season. And uh, and I think for, for, for Graham Arnold now is an opportunity to possibly see a couple of the players in a, in, a, in a decent competitive environment, certainly with the group of players working day in, day out, leading up to the game, um, and seeing who's up for the challenge, who's, who's good enough to, to get in that squad to go to Qatar come come the end of, this, end of the year. Ryan Strain, he got an assist for St Mirren as they upset Ange Postacoglu's Celtic at the weekend. And that right-back spot is up for grabs. So is he the sort of player that has a really great opportunity to make a late run and, and maybe nail down a not even a, a World Cup spot, but maybe even a starting spot for the Socceroos? I, I think there's a number of positions. I think certainly, yeah. Um, certainly as a... As a, as a as a, a, a wide defender, absolutely. I think in midfield there's still opportunities. Um, look, Cammy Devlin, I've talked about it week in, week out on the Gagan Pod for, for quite some time now. It's great to see him involved. I'm also a big fan of Tyrese Francois um, from Fulham. I, I think he's a real, real big talent. Um, I mean, the one thing he probably hinders him a little bit is just get regular game time at a, at a higher level. Um, but I think uh, there are a number of positions that there are still players that could find themselves in that squad. And these two games um, are, are a big, big opportunity for players to, to really start to put pressure on Graham Arnold to, to make him start to think twice about his squad and about who he's selecting. And Joe, I've got a Socceroos question for you uh, because one of your teammates who you only would have recently met, Andrew Redmayne, was famous around the world. He can never go to Peru for the rest of his life after what he did in the penalty shootout to get Australia to the World Cup. Had you seen the wiggle routine on the goal line uh, before you moved out here and what's it been like to meet him now in person and have Andrew Redmayne as a teammate? No, I, to, be, to be honest, I'd seen the, the video before, before I'd come and then obviously when I was sort of um, you know close to signing and did sort of research about it, about everything obviously then I've realised he, he played for Sydney so he's a pretty imposing figure as well so I can imagine I can imagine it it's, you know it does put people off um, haven't seen it yet in, in training in full flow um, sort of hoping not to see it in a game because it means we can see the penalty but I'm sure um, you know if we do you know it stands him in good stead to uh, to save one but you know he's a pretty he's a good keeper you know he can he's he can play with his feet as well and then you know he's a he's a he's a big lad so you know he's a lovely guy and and yeah hopefully um I guess hopefully we'll get to see it at the World Cup as well because it means you know the Socceroos have gone gone pretty far and you're a winger Ryan Grant is a, a fullback have you already been training a lot head to head against him and and what are your impressions of him because he's one of the Socceroos that was in the team now he's on the outer maybe has to have a few things go right for him to to get into the the final World Cup squad but what have your impressions been of training against Ryan Grant so far yeah he's a you know he's a really good player and and you know probably in training to be honest to train more with him really and so from a footballing perspective of, of you know I find myself more probably on the right wing and he's he's right back so you know we're creating a, a good relationship and you know he's really easy to play with and he's a really good footballer and you know I know how desperate he is to, to make the squad so you know as you say you know things I guess have got to fall, fall right and, and you know hopefully you know that comes from you know the fact that we're going to have a really good season, and, and he's and he's going to be part of that, and, and sort of has that last push before the, you know, before the World Cup, and you know, fingers crossed for him because I know, I know how 
how desperate he is to make the World Cup squad and, and you know, um, you know, he's a he's a very good player and I'm sure, you know, if if, if called upon he'll you know, he'll 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 do a good job. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us uh, early morning from your pre-season camp. Uh, enjoy the rest of that trip and good luck for the A-League men's season. It's great to hear that you're enjoying Australia so far and we appreciate your time on the Pod. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And Mark Schwarzer, uh, looking forward to next week analysing these two Socceroos games with you and, of course, uh, what happens in the Nations League as well. All the best for your weekend ahead and thanks for joining us once again. Pleasure, mate. So the UEFA Nations League continues live and exclusive on Optus Sport starting on Thursday at 4.45am Australian Eastern Time with Scotland against Ukraine and then runs every day through until Wednesday, including matches like Italy versus England, England versus Germany and Spain versus Portugal, plus the world champions France will be in action too. The FAWSL continues live and exclusive on Optus Sport. The Women's Super League this weekend pits Arsenal against Tottenham on Saturday at 10.20pm Australian Eastern Time. And don't miss the doubleheader on Monday with Sam Kerr's Chelsea versus Manchester City at 1am Australian Eastern Time, followed by the first Merseyside derby of the season, Liverpool against Everton from 3.45am Australian Eastern Time. Don't forget the Gegen Pod drops every Wednesday on your favourite podcast provider. While you're here, rate us five stars and make sure you're subscribed. On behalf of Joe Lolly, our special guest this week, and Mark Schwarzer, my name's Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was the Gegen Pod. <laughs>